your friend, the therapist. On this podcast, we're skipping the small talk and working to destigmatize mental health through intimate conversations with everyday people about their mental health journeys and how they stay well in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Maggie Harrigan. Maggie runs the Instagram account Hello Deconstructionist. That's hello underscore deconstructionist, where she is building community post-evangelicalism. She is a religious trauma survivor and a dedicated therapy client where she is working hard to understand who she is outside of religion. Her goal is to share parts of her own story and bring other survivors together to help them know they're not alone on their deconstruction journey. Thanks for being here, Maggie. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm sure we'll get to how Maggie and I know each other. Perhaps we will. But this last piece of the intro I just shared about helping other people know they're not alone. You were a significant part of me not feeling alone in my deconstruction journey. So that's a little snippet of how we ended up here today. But um, so the question I start with on every episode is what does wellness mean to you and how are you staying well these days? Um, well, I love this question and I feel like every episode of this podcast that I listen to, my definition of wellness shifts a little bit, um, because you've had some really wise guests on and I feel like it's really helped me to kind of open up my view of what wellness is, but the thing that I keep coming back to is that wellness for me is being aware and noticing um, and giving myself permission to notice without judging it or without labeling it as good or bad, Um, and then taking in the information as just that information and knowing that all information is good information, and so I get to decide what I do with that. Um, so just being able to, to just stop and notice and not feel like something needs to be a certain way, but, um, yeah, just taking in the information and then knowing that I have the autonomy to do what I will with it after that. Um, and yeah, I feel, I feel most well when I'm most aware of myself, I think. Mm, Yeah. And that awareness in a non-judgmental way that like, um really mindful, at least in how I define it, how John Kabat-Zinn defines it of the non-judgmental awareness, um, which is quite different than evangelicalism. There's not a lot of um, awareness right. <laughs> and there's not a lot of uh, non-judgment. Right. That. <laughs> right. Everything is labeled as good or bad. Um, and it's so, so black and white. And so, yeah, just trying to um to hold things less tightly to just be able to kind of let them let them go a little bit or to know that like just because the church labeled something as good doesn't mean that it has to be bad or just because they labeled it as bad doesn't mean it has to be good like now that I'm kind of on the other side of it um and sort of just kind of pull myself out of the this or that mentality has been helpful um yeah, I don't know. And and the church just really hammered in this like good and evil, black and white, um, that I've been trying yes. to shift away from, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. And in the book that just came out by Laura Anderson, um, When Religion Hurts You, she talks about, and I think she recently posted on Instagram about this, how when we are leaving religion, we often find fundamentalism in other spaces. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That like black and white thinking, like in the wellness industry, for example. And so like really dismantling all black and white thinking not just religious it sounds like is what you're aiming to do yeah yeah um and I think I don't know I think that it's been hard but it's also been like the church has been such a good example of how harmful black and white thinking can be um Mm -hmm. that it's been helpful to kind of come back to that and be like and just use it as an example of like a reason to not hold on hold on to the black and white or hold on to things so tightly and be able to kind of shift in and out of things or to say, Mm -hmm. I find myself saying a lot, like, that's what I believe today. Or like, that's how I feel about wellness for me today. And it might change tomorrow. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And knowing that I can change, I can change my mind, I can change my views on things. um, And to really just view my ideas or my feelings or any anything as just like what it is right now and and that's it and it can change yeah yeah knowing that change is normal that's an expected part of living a human life is changing yeah yeah are there examples I don't want to like totally spend all of our time and energy in high control religion, but just to like lay some groundwork, they've got, they've taken enough of our time and energy, (laughs) Um, but to lay some groundwork, um, are there certain examples of black and white thinking that you learned in a church setting that like you said, are like really stand out to you as examples of why this is not a, a way you want to think or live anymore? Mm, That's a good question. I think um, there's a lot that comes back to purity culture for me. And I think for, for a lot of us, um, and just this idea of like, sex is bad, all sex is bad. No, you know, I kiss dating goodbye, like this kind of um, this like sexuality is bad was so black and white like and I don't even know what the white like what's what's the good part I don't know like the good and bad it's like sexuality is bad I guess like being unless you're married and yeah unless you're married um like just like straight and straight yeah yeah and that's just talking about straight straight couples but like yeah anything to do with um queer spaces is bad and Mm -hmm. and I just have seen that to be so not true and we know that is not true and um so to be able to kind of open up my mind about both queer spaces but also just like sex in general um any anything to do with purity culture how how they um taught us to view our bodies um our bodies are bad yeah and kind of coming out of that and knowing seeing that there's just so much more to who we are um and there's so many different ways that sex can look or sex can be for different people and um yeah I think that's one way that I've just realized there isn't there isn't a good or bad in a consenting you know of course Mm -hmm. giving consent but um in a consenting relationship 
And so, yeah, we just have to get out of the good and the good and bad, the black and white. Yeah. 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 It really creates a lot of barriers to community and to relationship, really, Mm -hmm. I think. I had um, Katie Koontz-Wineland on the podcast recently. She, um, the episode's not out yet. It will be by the time this one's released, but she um, has the Instagram account, The Belonging Table. Uh, We were talking about queer theory, which I don't know a ton about, a little bit out of my element, but how like queerness, not just in terms of sexuality, but just queer theory is really living in that gray space rather Mm -hmm. than the black. Yeah, the like, yeah. So yeah, that's such a good example. It's just like it is. It's just gray. Like I don't even know. It's not like I'm coming out of this black and white, and I don't know what I'm coming into. It's just like it's just gray. You know? Yeah, Um, yeah. I'm curious what that process was like, or continues to be like, coming out of the black and white and into the gray for you. Yeah, I think the the one I come back to a lot is my relationship with my anxiety. Um, it was, I've been a person with anxiety for a long, long time, but I didn't know that that's what it was until I was an adult. And I was, I was kind of shocked by the, I shouldn't have been, but I was kind of shocked by the like diagnosis in, in therapy. Um, and I viewed it as this bad thing that needed to be fixed. And um, my relationship with it has changed so much since then. I This is kind of coming back to my definition of wellness too, but I view it now as this piece of me that gives me a lot of information. Um, and so it's not something I'm trying to fix. It's not something I'm trying to wash in some way or like um it's something that I think was felt really really present when I was in church because it wasn't a safe place to be and so you know looking back I can see that my anxiety has shown me something it told me it told me something about my safety or or not safety um and sort of view it as information rather than something bad has been really helpful. Um, and also not like it it isn't bad, so now it's good. It's not yeah. like I love it, but it but it is information. And so trying to kind of view it as this something in between. Um, and I also just wanna say that like I am on um I'm on medication for anxiety too, so I I don't want people to feel like it's something that they shouldn't get help for. I think that the medication has been so, so helpful in making it something that I can view as information rather than something that sends me into a kind of shame or panic spiral. Um, So just to encourage people that like, you know, to view it as not bad doesn't mean that it isn't something that you can seek help for. Um, Right. Yes. Yeah, and I do think that I am pretty public about being on medication as well mm-hmm. for anxiety and like very um I think it's really important to name that and for people <clears throat> to hear that that is an okay choice to make because I think a lot of people at least a lot of 
um, people that I see in my therapy practice think that that's sort of like a giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, if it's helpful for you, like you deserve to feel well. Mm-hmm. Um, it also doesn't mean that anxiety goes away. <laughs> like, right. at least in my experience, like we still experience it and it is still information. It's just maybe not at that like heightened level that really interfered with daily living. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's such a great example um, of shifting out of black and white into the gray with something that even outside of the church we still see um, mental health diagnoses or feelings that are uncomfortable as bad. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of people label them as negative emotions or bad emotions. And I always try to stop people. Like they're not negative. They're not positive either. They just are. They're just information. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, And I don't know about you. Maybe you can speak to this, but I certainly got the messaging within religion that not only was anxiety a bad thing or a thing to be ashamed of, but it actually meant that you were not, I don't know, being a good enough Christian, not loving God enough. Like if you just had more faith, you wouldn't experience this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I remember I have this like strong memory of being a kid. I must've been in I don't know, like upper elementary, so probably like fourth grade or something like that. Um, And we had to pick our favorite Bible verse and share it with the church. Uh, It must have been like Children's Day and all the kids read a Bible verse. Um, And I picked a verse in Matthew. I can, it's therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. And it was like, I'm, I remember thinking like, this is my favorite Bible verse because I'm not supposed to worry. And so I have to keep telling myself, like, don't worry. Like, I'm not supposed to worry. Like, it's bad to worry. And then I'm, like, perseverating on not worrying, which just adds to the worry. Um, But, yeah, I just remember from, like, a really young age being, like, if I worry, it means I'm not trusting God enough or having enough faith or or having faith the right way. Um, Mm And that's just not true. Like for anybody who grew up with anxiety and who grew up in high control religion, that's not true. Like there's not something wrong with you. You didn't like not have enough faith. Um, You're like one of many, many people who struggles with anxiety in a world that's filled with too much information. Like there's so much information. Of course we have anxiety. Um, Or, of course, many of us do. It's like it's not even just from the church. I think there's also so much in the world that contributes um, to that. And so just to recognize that, like, we're doing a good job of trying to be our our best selves in a really difficult world sometimes, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So much access to information and also Mm -hmm. just bombardment of our nervous systems all the time like uh, perhaps this is a normal reaction to living in the world that we do exactly yeah it's like I'm feeling a lot of things because I'm human you know Mm um yeah yeah are there ways that you like 
lean into being human now outside of religion? And let me know if that question feels too abstract. Mm. I must because I feel like I come back to this a lot. I'm like, that's just what it means to be human. But like, <laughs> now that you ask me that, I'm like, what? Um, like, what does it mean? Um, I don't know. I just keep coming back to this idea of like, of noticing and letting ourselves feel things like to feel anger is a big one for me. Um, I think because we weren't allowed to feel anger and um, so I don't always know what to do with it, but I try really hard to acknowledge when I feel angry and be like, I don't know what to do with it, but I know I'm angry and I know I'm supposed to do something. And I just kind of like sit here and look at my hands. But I think, um, like, like to figure out where to put it, like, where do I put the anger? Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it's in those moments that like you feel things and you don't know what to do with them that feel like that's being human. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe sitting in the like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think that feels very human and kind of letting myself sit in that and not have the answers. Um, mm-hmm. Feels, yeah, like a way that I'm kind of leaning into that for myself. Yeah. And letting yourself feel without having to like fix the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you were a kid. I think I remember that you were a kid that felt a lot of feelings growing up, whereas, like, I didn't feel. I, like, completely cut off from my emotions. Yeah, so I think I was talking to you about this, but I grew up in a church that was, um, you know, hymns, pretty slow hymns with, like, an old organ that were not very lively. And then also, like, my dad ran the worship team that I was on, and so we kind of had we had more like contemporary music there. Um, but, but the flavor of the church was kind of like standing still mm-hmm. more like theological, like heady information rather than like emotional connections with God. Um, but I also went to and worked at a summer camp that was ironically, it was Mennonite, but it was, much more like open to like Pentecostal um, ideas and and other staff members. So I feel like I got like a lot of different flavors of Christianity. Um, And, you know, I went to like some conferences with like speaking in tongues and like some weird stuff around that. So I feel like I have some, like that was like my ideal was like this church that was like, really leaned into people's emotions and, like, played music that, I don't know, like, just, like, got the crowd kind of riled up, like, feeling the spirit. Um, And so I think, I don't know, I think my emotions weren't quite as shut off as they would have been if I didn't have those experiences. Not that they were super healthy, necessarily, but Mm -hmm. I think it did help me kind of, like, be in touch with my feelings a little bit more than I would have. Um, yeah, you were drawn, you were drawn to the experiences that allowed you a little bit more emotional connection. Yeah. I remember feeling like those are real, like those people are doing something real, um, Mm -hmm. instead of like standing still, 
even though like I'm not a big like move like I'm, I'm not like a big mover like I'm not like a yeah. big dancer or anything but still to have to like see people doing that felt like there was there was something there that my home church was missing um and so yeah I think I think I was drawn to that in a way I think I also have have always been kind of in touch with like other people's emotions um and I don't know if that helped me be more in touch with mine or not but um just this kind of awareness of like what people are feeling who's feeling tense what that does to the room what that does to to the way that we interact with people um who's feeling happy I don't know does that make sense It totally makes sense. And I'm thinking, you know, something we haven't talked about, but I know you're a teacher and I imagine that makes you a really good teacher (laughs) to be in touch with the feelings of people around you. Yeah. I mean, I hope that it helps me like read the room well, um, and adjust to my students. And yeah, I always, I'm like, I want to make sure people know, like, I'm not a therapist. I'm a teacher. Uh, I feel like I am in this kind of space with a lot of therapists. And I'm, I just always want to remind people that, like, I am not an expert. You should go ask the experts. Um, But yeah, I'm, I think that in my journey to find myself a little bit more, I've become such a better teacher because I've been both more aware of myself and then able to bring a more authentic version of myself to the classroom um but also I think I have a better understanding of what my students need because I have been through some kind of healing process myself um and that's been so so helpful like I always say like I I teach music second and my first job is to help my students like learn who they are and be able to find their fullest selves you know even though like they're they're little they don't they're not gonna find it in the years that I have them totally like I don't know if any of us ever totally find ourselves but um but yeah I I want to teach them as a person first and teach them music second yeah I'm curious how you're teaching career has been impacted by your deconstruction I mean you just hinted at it a little bit but I imagine like they've been kind of parallel processes in some ways right yeah that's so true I hadn't thought about them being parallel but I started teaching after college and I really um I really started I think you know during college my my faith started um not crumbling but like changing and so it was really after college that I kind of stepped away from that so that's so interesting to think about them as being parallel but um I think I have helped students or I try to help students um honor themselves more than I did at the beginning and you know, looking at my first couple of years of teaching, what felt comfortable was being in control as the teacher in the room and to step away from high control religion meant 
one of the things that it did was helped me um, think about control and authority in a different way. And so I think my role has shifted in the classroom and I really try to help students, yeah, honor themselves and honor what they need, learn how to figure out what they need. Um, I have a little, like a, uh, quiet corner, safe space, grounding corner, depending on, you know, what we want to call it that, that day, what they need, but, um, a little corner in the room with like some fidgets kids can use, or like there's a couple pillows and a, a blanket, some like books that they can read. And they know that in my room, they could go there at any point, like without asking, they just go there. And this was something new that I tried this year. And, and I thought, I wonder what happens if we, if we don't like hold these things that kids need, like over their heads. And we just say like, if you need it, you can have it. And our goal is to help you learn. So, um, like what if kids just had what they needed, you know? And I think about myself as a kid, what if I just had what I needed? Um, how would, how would we function differently? Um, so yeah, that's been really fun and, and cool to watch them use the space and kind of like come yeah. back to themselves. Yeah. And another way that maybe, you know, not overtly, but you're kind of sending the message that like, it's okay to have feelings or to need a break. There's nothing mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, It makes me wonder what the little version of you would have needed if she really was in touch with her needs and was allowed to have what she needed. Yeah, I don't know. It's so interesting. I feel sometimes like I don't know little me. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, here's like, I'll give her a hug. But other times I'm like, who is that? Like I don't even recognize her. Um, I don't know if she needed. And, And she also like, I should say that I grew up in like a really loving home. My parents were really wonderful and gave me like so much of what I needed but I was a a kid with a kid with anxiety and high control religion in the 90s when we didn't really know a lot of information about mental health practices um and so yeah I don't know I could definitely use have used some coping strategies but I don't know what they are right yeah yeah it's hard to know exactly what would have been useful and I think I don't know if you had this experience or not, but I, I have a hard time accessing like memories, not all of them. Like I have memories, but I I think I learned at such a young age. And again, I grew up in a very loving home too, but also within church, it still has an impact, but Mm -hmm. I learned at such a young age to disconnect from my body and my emotions. And that really Mm -hmm. impacts like your ability to store memories. So just to normalize that, like, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we don't have tons of memories as kids, but trauma can certainly be a part of that, even religious trauma. Like, mm-hmm. I think we're still working in the mental health community community to legitimize that as a, a valid form of trauma. And it mm-hmm. is. It impacts your body and your memories in the same way. Yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like you know, when you asked for my bio, I put like religious trauma survivor because I had heard you use that term. And I was like, I guess that's what I am. So I should like try to own that. But it feels 
I feel like an imposter, you know? Like, I I didn't actually have trauma, but, like, okay, that is my diagnosis, you know? Um, and it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's so interesting. I feel like because there wasn't one big event that I can come back to, it feels like I don't, like, have the right to call it that or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally get that and I think that's a really common experience for within the religious trauma community but just in general Mm -hmm. as like even the term complex trauma which is what a lot of us who grew up in high control religions experience which Mm -hmm. is not one event but like lots of like little or daily chronic experiences that resulted in trauma Mm -hmm. um yeah I think a lot of people have a hard time legitimizing that for themselves and understanding that yeah even it being taught to believe certain things can result in trauma and it doesn't always but it can right yeah I sometimes wonder like which came first the Mm. the anxiety or the like kind of fundamentalist teachings like what was I an anxious Mm. kid who took in these you know fundamental teachings about heaven and hell and like sin leading to like death and eternal damnation (laughs) like was I an anxious kid who took those to heart or did those teachings sit with me so early that I became an anxious Mm -hmm. person I don't know um yeah and it doesn't matter but it's just kind of interesting to think about how they have interacted with each other maybe yeah well I think it it can be helpful as we like seek to understand ourselves to tease those things apart I think about that a lot with um well for me and my family lineage it's very clear that anxiety is like a family trait um but I had developed a chronic illness and I often go back and forth of like did my trauma like make this happen or would I have had this anyway and yeah Mm -hmm. I land on like I guess it doesn't really matter um and the reality is it's probably some combination. Right. Like of all of this. Right. Yeah. Just to pivot a little bit, I want to talk about your Instagram community. Um, and I'm curious what what made you start that? What was like the the beginning story of that? Yeah. Um So I had left church already. I had already been like out of church for a while, but I had just kind of stopped going, but not like processed any of it. And so at some point that kind of caught up with me and I was, you know, feeling a lot of anxiety around just like all the things that come with leaving church and which means like kind of leaving your community and worrying about you know what is your family gonna say what are your friends gonna say what do you say about yourself like how do you how do you even label yourself now or who are you now outside of outside of it and um so it was around then so maybe like five years four or five years after college just to I went to a Christian college so just to kind of give some I don't know 
some timeline <laughs> around mm-hmm. when I left a sort of religious like mm-hmm. institution and being part of or- an organized religion like that. Um, anyway, so it was a- around four years after that that I really started digging through a lot of the a lot of my church experiences and my experience leaving um, in therapy and with a therapist that that worked specifically with me on that um, or with me specifically on that and. In that process, I I just realized what a lonely experience it had been and how um, kind of isolating it was. And I realized that, you know, one of my best friends from college was going through the same thing at the same time and we didn't talk about it. Like we hadn't, we hadn't even brought it up to each other. And then one day we kind of, I don't even know how we realized it, but, um, but we both realized that we were um, going through this experience and, and, and I just thought other people must be going through the same thing, like thinking that they're alone, but being, you know, one of many, many people who feel lonely leaving. And so my goal with this was my goal with the Instagram account was to help people know they're not alone. And, um, I felt comfortable or yeah, it was like a, it was a stretch for me, but I felt comfortable enough to put my name and information out there, and so I thought, um, and like part of my story out there, and so I thought if if my journey helps other people feel less alone, then like then it has been worth it, and and then in addition to my story, you know, people have shared with me, and I'm able to share their stories in in some form as well, or connect other people and connect them to resources and. So, yeah, I just, my goal is that people feel less alone in this really isolating experience. Yeah. Well, and and like I said at the beginning, that was definitely my experience. Um, I mean, we went to the same college, like a little bit at the same time, but like you're a little bit older than me. Mm -hmm. So we weren't like friends, but like we knew each other. Right. Yeah. So I had been following you on Instagram and I so vividly remember the day that I found your Instagram account, the Hello Deconstructionist one, and realizing like, wait, other people feel this way? Um, Because it was so like, I knew that my partner did, who also went to the same college as us. But like outside of that, it felt like one, it's not something I can talk about or ask other people mm-hmm. because the stakes are really high, mm-hmm. um, like the losing community. But then, yeah, I will say like the Instagram account was great, but the the mean, the really meaningful, I mean, it was all meaningful. But after that, you had at the time like a little small group of women who we met on a weekly basis and just like talked about our experience. And I know that um, – that's not something you're doing anymore. Like it was, it was served in a certain season, but that was a really powerful experience for me. And as part of my, if I think of the like arc of my deconstruction journey to start to realize like, Oh yeah, there are other people out here and we don't have to do this all by ourselves. Um, and actually now there's a whole movement of people. Um, but yeah, so I just share that because your account is, well, and you, because I know you apart from the account. It was very meaningful. 
Yeah, still continues to be. Thank you. I, yeah, I loved that little small group that we had. Um, And I remember thinking like, as we, you know, as somebody new would come in and we would all kind of share our stories again to see how our stories changed from the beginning to, you know, a few weeks later, a few weeks later, um, as new people came in was so cool. It was so cool to hear my story change, hear your story change. Um, and that felt, I don't know, it felt like growth together. That was really, really beautiful. And yeah, so I don't know, that meant a lot to me too. And, um, I, I think I had followed your personal Instagram account and, and always, you know, you kind of have your eyes on people and are like, they mm-hmm. seem really with it. Like they, maybe they left too. And, um, and I don't say with it to, to pass any judgment on people who don't leave. Just like it, you know, seems like, like you were big into yoga and I always thought like, I want to go to one of our yoga classes. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and when you followed the account, I was like, oh, she's out too, you know, this feeling <laughs> of like oh, there's somebody else. It, mm. it like never gets old feeling like, oh, there's somebody else who's part of this with us, yes. like extending our community, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Now that I think at the time I didn't have my public Instagram pages, I obviously do now um, since I've started my practice. And I've had people from my childhood that I grew up with reach out and be like, yeah, me too. This has happened to me too. And like, yeah. thank God we're out. Um, yeah, it is a pretty powerful experience because as you mentioned before, community is one of the huge losses, can be one of the huge losses in leaving mm-hmm. high control religion or religion in general, depending on your journey. Um, but there is hope of finding community on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really appreciate about your Instagram account, um, it, perhaps it's always been this way, but I've really noticed it recently that it's not necessarily, it's, it feels really like crowdsourced in a mm. way. Um, you know, I think there's, I'm very much in the place in my deconstruction where I'm like, yes, I experienced that, but it no longer dominates my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it still shows up for sure and probably always will, but some of the Instagram accounts that are constantly living in the angry place, which is an mm-hmm. important place to let yourself be, but like those can feel very like exhausting to mm-hmm. me. And so I appreciate just like the community nature. It's not necessarily that we're out here to like, um, you know, like dismantle the theology Mm -hmm. but really to build community right yeah yeah I think my like bio there has always been um building something like building community post evangelicalism um -hmm. and I think my posts were more angry for a while uh when Mm -hmm. I was kind of in the throes of it um but but still always with the like if you feel this anger too you're not alone um, but they've definitely gotten, like, I I feel less angry than I did before. I feel, like, more, I don't know, I feel, I, I just feel more healed than I did, than I ever have, I think. Um, and, 
And I think, uh, yeah, I think that that comes through in what I post. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what to say anymore because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't pop up every day like it did for a while. Um, and so then I try to just remember like, oh wait, but we're just here for a community. So like, let's ask each other. Let's see what, let's yeah. see what we all have to say and have to share. And yeah, so I'm glad, I'm glad that it, that it feels that way on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm curious as we're like kind of wrapping up, um, if you're comfortable sharing where you are at now, like what does like meaningful spiritual experience look like for you, if at all, um, if you use any labels and if you don't, why you've chosen not to. And if you don't want to talk about this at all, you can like hard pass totally (laughs) no I love talking about this um yeah I think well I had said to you you know in one of our conversations before this that in the middle of deconstruction my my the kind of image that stuck out to me in my mind was this like being in this like murky murky water and like not being able to see anybody or see anything like you can't see the hand in front of you um and and this idea that like people might be next to you but you can't see them you can't feel them unless you like reach out um and just being just kind of like in this like muddy murky place that is that just feels awful and confusing and disorienting and I feel like now I'm sort of like I can kick up the dirt at the bottom of the water but like I'm like swimming on top and some days I'm just floating and some days I'm going somewhere but like it's not like the murkiness isn't there it just like isn't clouding everything anymore um and yeah so I don't know it's kind of how I feel about that and and because of that I feel like I have more space and energy to explore other things and so um I know we've been talking a little bit about like kind of exploring the wheel of the year um Mm -hmm. and that's been a way that I've been able to kind of open up a little bit more and try out some other kinds of like traditions or I don't know dare I say spirituality I'm like (laughs) so I'm like totally afraid of that word a little bit but um but yeah just to like celebrate the changing of the seasons or like these the cycles of the year in a different way um and to Mm -hmm. see what some of these even more ancient traditions looked like and um I don't know. It just seems really, really cool and something that I never would have felt comfortable doing before. And so I just noticed this kind of like openness that I yeah. didn't have before. Um, and again, just like holding on to things, like taking something, holding on to this, like, oh, what's the wheel of the year? Exploring it. And if it's not for me, I can let it go. And if it is for me, I can hold it close, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, that autonomy. Freedom yeah. To yeah. 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 I'm new in my wheel of the year journey as well, but I do really appreciate how connected it is to nature. Mm-hmm. That is something that like drew me in. Like this morning behind me, I have a bunch of um, like wood and leaves drying to make like foraged smudge sticks for the solstice. Oh, I love that. <laughs> 
Yes, I was like gathering sticks and pine resin on my walk with the dog this morning. And yeah, it's just fun to like be open and explore and yeah, do the things we were never allowed to to do. Yeah. And I think you actually gave me the language you had said, like, it's uh, this expansiveness or maybe you had said you read it somewhere, but um, that's been like, so I think you said it to me a couple of weeks ago, but just to kind of think about things as like, they're open and like can be expansive is really beautiful and just helps me shift my thinking a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do love that word. And I think I probably got it from somebody else. But yeah. Oh, well, Maggie, this has been such a great conversation. Um, so, you know, I we've talked a lot about your Instagram account, but if you can just remind folks where they can find you, if there's anything else you want to share about yourself or your presence online or otherwise, um, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is hello underscore deconstructionist. Um, it's kind of a mouthful, but, um, and yeah, my, my DMs are always open. Like I said, I'm not a therapist, but I love to chat with people and just, I don't know, kind of be in the experience with you. And, um, so if you just need an ear or I don't know, just get the words out to know that they're out there somewhere and not just with you, I'm always happy to, to listen. Um, I can I give a little plug for the project that I'm starting? Please. Is that okay? Um, So I'm starting this project and we'll see where it goes, but um, collecting stories of people who have deconstructed in some way their beliefs um, from high control religion. And it could be that you've left religion altogether, or it could be that you've found a healthier version of religion for for yourself. but my goal is to collect these stories and to put them together in some in some way, maybe a book, I don't know, um, but put them together in some way so that we can together collectively share our stories as a as a community um, and help other people who find themselves feeling alone or feeling stuck or um, yeah, just needing some support while they're going through it. So if you're interested in sharing your story anonymously, um, I would love to, yeah, I love to chat and you can reach out on my Instagram and we can connect there. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I had the pleasure of being interviewed for that. I know it's anonymous, but I'll be in there somewhere. <laughs> um, and that was a great experience. Um, and so I will definitely link your Instagram in the show notes so people have easy access to that, but thank you oh. so much for being here. Thank you. This has been another conversation with your friend, the therapist. To follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at your friend, the therapist pod, and you can follow my work as a trauma therapist and yoga teacher on Instagram at Carrie Fillion Psychotherapy or my website, carriefillion.com. Take care and stay well.